you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. I got a weird one today. I mean, a good one, but a weird one, at least in my mind. I'm not like an investor person. I don't speak. invest. I don't think investor. I'm like an artist. You know, like the Joker said, I kind of just do. But working here in the startup world, I get, I get exposed to this universe of investors and cap tables and syllables that just don't fly through the synapses of my head, but along the way, I met some really incredible people and continue to meet some really incredible people like today's guest, Deanna Dammers, who I've christened the Investor Whisperer, or maybe the Yenta, in, in the best sense of Yenta, of investors. She manages investor relations for a startup called Kific Biomedical, which does really cool things in remote patient monitoring, but she's also a human an inspiring human and an animal lover who used to work in real estate. So she's got some really great communication skills. Among the many things we talk about is how do you talk to investors? How do you manage the, we need to make the money with purpose and intention? Can you help people and make money at the same time? What is innovation? Can we channel all the useless syllables that exist in this space? And of course, the pending robot apocalypse of AI and wearables. All this and more on today's show. Enjoy. All right, say your name. Deanna Dammers. You sound like that was like a like a like a Playtex commercial voice. Do that I again. Took, I took voiceover. You took voiceover. Mm-hmm. All right, now you have to like character role. Give me, give me, give me some commercials. I didn't Go. Do, I, no, no way. Oh come on. No way. You don't want people to know your your everybody, true self. Everybody said I had good phone, so I decided during COVID to. You've got good phone. I've got. I gave. Yeah. You gave good phone. My my voicemail, et cetera. Really? Yeah. Oh come on. You got to do something. Hi, you've reached Deanna Dammers. Thanks for calling. I don't know. What do you want me That's to do? That's not quite like the the what is it the the TikTok girl, but it's pretty good. <laughs> That's hysterical. No, Bravo. Broken. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad to be physically seeing you in person. Yes. With like no rush, we were in like Nashville and we were like jam packed. And hey, hi, good to see you. Hi, good to see you too. Yeah, I, you just keep that voice going the whole time. Alrighty. Our listeners are like enraptured right now no <laughs> one's leaving this show right now stay tuned i had to ask you first and foremost i don't know a lot of people that work real estate but you started early yes and this was probably i'm not going to age us but early 2000s pre-internet days something like that definitely pre more like early 90s okay that that's my time so totally fair 
I got my real estate license when I was 18. I just decided I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to hit the ground running. I was working for a realtor as an assistant and got my real estate license and off to work I went. Were you like a natural born salesperson? I was. That's some sweet manipulation skills, right? Well, I don't like to think of it that way, but yes. You really you got to close a deal, right? It's not like, what do I have to do to get you in this car? Did you learn this on the fly? Did your boss serve as a mentor? How did you develop these skills? I mean, what you're doing now today, which we're going to get to, is deeply derivative of these early teachings. 100%. I was just always super motivated. All I wanted to do was care for myself. I actually moved out of my my grandparents brought me up, so I moved out of my grandparents' house senior year, and they rented me an apartment, and I was just always super independent and very motivated. Well, good for you. Yes. So did all your other friends like go off to college and you're here making a living instead? Most of them. I had one girlfriend that I moved in with who was a couple years older than me, and she had the, she wanted to actually get an apartment together. She was just doing some part-time college on the side. (laughs) Part-time college on the side. On the side, yes. And um, I actually went and got my license at the College of Marin in Marin County, California. It was the one class I signed up for. And a couple months or three months later, I guess, I was uh, taking my state exam. And there you are. And there you have it. So is sales truly an art form? I think it's inherent in humans. Um, some, like myself, I just feel like I'm always selling for some reason, uh, when I meet people, it's not to sell myself. It's when you're having a conversation and it's it's about community, I think, too. I'm sure you read Dick Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Sure. Like required reading. Of course. Right? How old were you when you read it? <sighs> probably Just in my 14. Twi- probably in my <laughs> 20s, actually. No, no. It's basically give people what they want on your terms. I didn't ever work that way. Okay. But it was more, I've always been into collaboration. I always treated it like how I would treat my friend. I was never one of those hardcore salespeople. And especially in real estate, I feel like it's much more consultative, but it's about getting a feel for what they're looking for and then finding it. Well, it's it's very emotional too. This is such a humanistic, you're, you're finding a place to live your life versus like, you know, we're going to get to like, you know, diagnostics and investors. That's very mechanical. Yeah. So this is really human interaction at its finest. And that's who I am. It's about connection for me. And later on, much later on, I started my own company and my title is chief connection officer because that's what I do. I'm able to connect the dots and, but it's, it's more about the human connection for me. Well, in Hebrew, that's called the Yenta. Are you a Yenta? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that has a bit of a, um, a negative connotation. Oh, like forced marriage kind of stuff, like <laughs> old world Judaism? Uh, I'm not naming names. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like Yetta in the sense that you're helping to bring things together for good that would never otherwise know that they could be brought together. A hundred percent. So that's my definition of Yenta. It's not you're marrying this person no matter what and you're 13. I agree. Good old shtetl mentality. Yes. Yeah, that is not where I'm going with Yenta. But yeah, my father taught me all about relationships. They, they matter. Like I said, we were talking before the show. My As of this taping right now, my children had their B'nai Mitzvah this past weekend. Today's May 10th and the B'nai Mitzvah was May 7th this past Sunday. So when you're hearing this, I'll be many months out of my nachas right now. But again, like it's... I had friends from middle school that came and we're still friends like 40 years later. Relationships are probably the only thing that really have to be intentional, right? Yes. And I tend to build relationships quickly. So I can't unfortunately say that I had the same friends that I've had since childhood. Um, I, like I said, grew up in Marin County, but I was born in New York. And then at 10, moved to California. Quite the opposite experience. Correct. Very army brat-ish. I wouldn't say that because I didn't jump around a bunch. I'm just a bi-coastal inhabitor, I'll say. How's that? Because then I came back to New York. Well, it's a fascinating duality. I mean, they're two completely antithetical cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. No giant buildings in Marin County. Hell no. And it always intimidates me when I come to the city for some reason. Well, I w- my question was like, is it easier going there from here or going here from there? Well, I did both. So in childhood, I was in Long Beach, Long Island. So I wasn't in the big city. Having said that, my grandparents owned a printing company in the city. Um, so I'd been there on numerous occasions, but it was always so big. And I feel like a child when I come to Manhattan because it just feels overwhelming to me. So what possessed you to start your own company that takes a lot of, again, Hebrew, bingo, bingo. Well, I think that, you know, there was a lot of um, in between. I worked for dot coms. I went from real estate. So I went from real estate to pharmaceutical rep to the dot com world. And, Fun times, the dot-com world. Oh, yeah. Early 2000. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Wait, did you have the sock puppet? I had the sock puppet. Uh, definitely. there. It, that was involved. Yes. yes. And lots of immaturity and craziness, especially because it was in San Francisco proper that I worked for a couple of different dot-coms. And, you know, it was a huge life lesson. Huge. And, you know, the camaraderie that you feel with your team because you're, you know, it's blood, sweat and tears and not a lot of money, lots of, you know, paper millions and um, the fever that's going on. Right. And then coming out of that and landing. Right. And and feeling during the dot com situation, I went back into I started working for Countrywide in the mortgage industry because my stint when I was early in real estate did turn into the mortgage industry and then to pharma, uh, pharmaceutical sales. But so I went back to that and I was working for Countrywide and I had Silicon Valley as my territory. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was working with a bunch of brokers, you know, high rollers, Palo Alto. 
That no. was the place to be. It was. They had internet. Oh yeah, average loan size seven ninety five, baby. My God. Um, so yeah, it was uh, a lot, a lot different than being in the dot com world because it was real money, and you didn't. I mean, I did get stock for Countrywide, which followed the market all the way to the bottom. Yes. And when they got bought by B of A, so f- from that world, that's when I reload from the Bay Area to back to New York, to Westchester County, New York. And um, Countrywide reloaded me out to to the burbs right? And, uh, and gave me a territory. And that was just a, I guess I can't say bad words, but it was a bit of a poop show. And um, uh, it was a totally different world in New York. Well, you know, if you Google you, I think, you, what, what did I find? I'm looking at my paperwork here. Your Westchester for you account oh, is still yeah. active yeah. on Instagram. Haven't done anything. With it's that. a nice footprint though to have Westchester the number for you. Yes, good branding. Thank you. I've done zero with it. <laughs> if anybody yet, wants it, anyone wants to buy, <laughs> exactly. buy the Instagram handle Westchester for you. On well, sale. and funny, my my company is called Deep Dive Talent, and that was because I was working with engineers. It started out as a recruiting firm in healthcare, health tech, and and then startups. So um, deep dive talent. So people are like, do you dive? I'm like, no, it's- Yeah, to what depth dive, are you diving? Well, when you deep dive into data, right? right? So that was the thought process. Well, recruiting is also an art. It is. Chemistry, relationships, trust. Truth. Must have come in really handy to have your skill set. It did. It did. And I loved it. Until I started realizing that I really wanted to work with startups, and startups don't really have money to pay for oh, my tell me services. More. <laughs> I know nothing of this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a bit rough when you're trying to work with a startup who doesn't have any cash and is looking for engineers that they can't really pay. So, yeah, that worked out to where I started working with these startups to build strategic partnerships because that would then potentially get them money or get them sales or increase the value of their company. It was just an aha moment one day. And um, and I just never looked back. I got the fever. You know, it's just, right. I love the creativity. I love starting from ground zero and building. And I just had a really great network of people. Uh, I had been recruiting in healthcare. Um, so I knew a lot of the ho- large hospitals in in New York and just started talking to people and going to conventions and lots of meetup groups with MedStarter and, um, and the like. And just meeting really awesome people that came from all different walks of life. And just, it, it was... It was a mitzvah for me. I don't like to use the word fair very often. <laughs> not not a nod to our friend Alex Fair, but you know, having worked in nonprofit for nearly twenty years, and now in startup land in some capacity for the last five years, I see a lot of correlations between people that shouldn't have to work so damn hard for so little mm-hmm. for someone else to get rich off their efforts. How do you feel about that statement? I think it's extremely accurate. Having said that, I did that a lot. 
I worked for free a lot because I was super passionate about it. For example, I worked with a startup called Here Now Help that um, actually was in addiction and partnered them up with a friend of mine or a client of mine, actually. And that's the other challenge, right? So all of these people turn into my friends, right? And I'm and I'm a soft heart when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, and introduced them and and their Delena's company uh, is a startup that is in meditation and mindfulness, metal, medical grade. And um, so we added that to their app and it was about connecting um, once you're getting out of rehab, then what, right? And, you know, you don't have that connection to your group that you were in rehab with and you walk out the door and you go back to your life and, you know, it's a very high relapse rate. And so what Here Now Help was doing was connecting them, connecting the people uh, that were, you know, walking out of rehab and connecting them to their group and be enabling them to speak to their therapists, you know, telemed, telehealth, um, and giving them, you know, tools for their toolbox, like meditations. Well, we grew up at a time when just get over it was therapy mm. <laughs> walk it off was therapy yeah and or you're just fucking batshit crazy was therapy truth and i feel like we've kind of come a long way but i want i want to take a break and come back to this because we're now getting into the meat and potatoes of why i wanted to have you here so we'll be right we'll be right back after these messages from i'm um, some random 80s cartoon i don't know uh scooby-doo sure Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So I was involved with an organization uh, 
uh, in the early 2000s. I was probably six years out of my cancer diagnosis. And their name is the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And they kind of invented that word because rehab was stolen into the addiction market by Dr. Drew, whereas rehabilitation was really the original, believe it or not, the original policy initiative for cancer to support cancer rehabilitation if you were so lucky to have lived from the 1990s. But now survivorship and rehab are all under this massive umbrella of mental health. And is that helpful or hurtful? Because how do you pick and choose and understand where that lives because here you are talking about a medical-grade diagnostic that treats certain mental health conditions, and now your other company, Kific, is doing, like, wearable tech to solve problems, and everything's connected to mental health. That's accurate. So for me, that huge umbrella, yeah, it's hard to delineate between, you know, what whether it's mental health, addiction, um, rehab for a knee injury, cancer. Yeah, I don't know. Is that helpful? I think a lot of it came down to recently, probably around CPT codes or how insurance is going to pay for things. Right, right, right. But it has been probably, it's probably been on the scene for what, a good 10 years? Right. But the CPT codes for these types of things really is... Came out of COVID, a lot of it. Right. Um, oh, for the audience, a CPT code is, it's called a current procedural terminology. It is how doctors and healthcare professionals use a universal language to code medical services and procedures to streamline reporting. So says Google. There you go. Beautiful. And FYI, everyone, CPT codes change. They ebb and flow every year. It's also creepy because then you know everyone who said anything happened ever with a doctor. Not necessarily. No? No. No. I mean, the codes are to get your insurance to pay for your medical procedures or for therapy or for fill in the blank. But isn't that how medical marketing works? Like if we want Americans and patients to know about, let's say, this wearable diagnostic and they should talk to their doctor about this. Wouldn't they market to people that have a code for something related to that diagnostic? Sure. Yeah. So that's kind of creepy. It is. But so is like Doritos and advertising on Instagram. Right. But they're they're dangling the carrot for you. Yeah, that's right? true. So the carrot is we'll pay for a portion of this right. procedure, fill in the blank, but- at the same time, you're going to have to get 763,000 emails. And uh, right. I don't know. Is it worth it? Right, exactly. Where does our information go? Where does it live? It certainly isn't passed from doctor to doctor for some reason, because anytime you go and get a procedure done, that information doesn't go to your typical doctor, right? So God forbid we should have ownership of our own data. God forbid we should have that on our phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, they still fax them. Fax machines are going to be the cockroach Mm -hmm. of medical devices and telecommunications products a thousand years from now. When the aliens come and this is a husk of a planet, they will find cockroaches, fossils, I don't know, 
and fax machines. Yes, certainly so. I loathe the idea that they are still faxing our information. But unfortunately, we are we fall prey to the man. <laughs> and it is truly the man. Yeah. I'm going to agree that it is the man. I want to talk about how your your adept skills and your yentiness come in really handy with investor relations. And I want to sort of punt this up because I still don't understand investor culture. And I've been doing this and having chats and learning from lots of people. And we did like a partial raise or whatever. And I come from philanthropy. I come from purpose. I come from impact. And I come from that dollars don't matter if you're helping people versus mm-hmm. I only want to be involved if I can get rich. Can you help me square that circle? Oh, gosh. I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm from your tribe. And uh, it is. It's so different. And, and trying to get the eyeballs to look at your startup, for example, is extremely challenging. Because it's very noisy out there, especially nowadays. I think that for me, it's I'm driven by my passion, right? So my passion is to help, to help others, to, you know, Kifik is a very different animal than just mental health, right? And uh, addiction. Kifik is a wearable device. It's the first device that's actually extracting a biologic fluid and and use it. It's a diagnostic platform, right? So the sky's the limit. It's just like, it's very similar to blood. It has over 10,000 biomarkers in it, which your body, all of your internal organs are being bathed in interstitial fluid. Right. right. For the record, so, that's the stuff between the stuff. Correct. Okay. Correct. And so it's picking up these these markers that we can measure. Um, you know, like when you go into the doctor's office for your annual exam and they take two or three tubes of blood out of you, right? We're able to, and, and the reason they take so much is because blood has to be spun and you're using the plasma to do these tests, right. et cetera, et cetera. But with interstitial fluid, it's pure fluid. They can use that in an assay test or these tests that they do for your annual exam and therefore needing less of it, A, it's a remote diagnostic wearable, B, so you can do it from the comfort of your home. Right. And blood coagulates and interstitial fluid doesn't. So that's the sidebar, okay? We think it's a new way of doing diagnostics. We've talked to companies like Quest, um, Eurofins, those type of diagnostic companies. And then we've talked to companies that are similar to like Abbott and Dexcon that actually use interstitial fluid for glucose monitoring because that's a real thing, right? We're, We're measuring our glucose levels from interstitial fluid with your Libre and your Dexcom fill in the blank, right? So that's the sidebar. Um, And the question you asked me was about investors. So how do we get their eyeballs when it's all about return on investment? And for me, it's about 
touching, meeting them where they're at. But I, I speak from my heart and that's just who I am. I'm not a cut to the chase, you know. Um, You're not a sharky auto salesman. I, I don't think I'm capable. I just am. I, I just am not. I'm not capable of that. That was really challenging for me in real estate. That was really challenging for me, you know, in hardcore sales as a farmer rep, right? Because I always wanted to connect heart to heart for some reason. It's just the way I'm built. Right. So that's what I do with Kifik raising capital. And it's very difficult to do it that way. Is it like if you get one out of a hundred, that's success? Like what was your win ratio in real estate versus your win ratio in investors? Well, I dealt with a lot of buyers, um, but I did have a couple of listings. Listings are easier, right? Because everybody's showing it. Mm -hmm. Whoever sells it, sells it next, right? I'm not hard selling anything. And I didn't hard sell my buyers either because it was, here are the here's your criteria. Here's the homes that are available. Pick one, right? Because I was always in a market where it was like, you know, low volume and, uh, you know, the need. The need was before school started so they could move in, right? So there was a time frame, you know, that made it a little bit easier. But when it came, when it comes to raising capital, right now, I mean, nobody, it, it, everybody's struggling to raise capital and they're being bombarded, you know, the VCs, the, private equity groups, the fill in the blank are being bombarded. And we've raised our capital through angel investors thus far, but we're in a series A, so you can't get to, we're raising $15 million. You can't get there. We've raised five with angel investors. You're not going to get to 15 with just angels. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, this kind of goes back to purpose, right? What I want to believe, and I have yet to be uh, experienced to be uh, uh, proven, is that even if you care about who benefits the most by this becoming a real boy in the real market for real Mm -hmm. people, if you don't see that return, you're not going to care whether this helps people or not. And it potentially really could help people. And I've been on the receiving end of conversations, especially in the nonprofit space, where we're like, here's something that will help you live a better life if you're suffering from this, but it'll never see the light of day. And yet it could help so many people and it's been proven and there's data and it's whatever it is, there's like FDA approved stuff that's still waiting to be invested in. Correct. That could help millions of people. Who's the person that's going to say, I don't want to help, but I need the money? Well, not so fast because some of the pharmaceutical companies or device companies, they buy a startup and then they shelve it. Maybe they use a piece of it right. and they shelve the rest of it because it would be a huge competitor, right? So not to knock pharmaceutical at all, but they're, you know, they're trying to garner as many patients that are utilizing their drugs as possible, right? So if there was a, a better mousetrap that didn't require pharmaceuticals, that's not helpful to them. Right. So there's that as well. And, you know, Kifik, our device isn't just for diagnostics for, you know, your annual exams. A big piece to it, and you've mentioned cancer, right, is getting ahead of it, getting ahead of these diseases. Because 
And there's going to be tons of research that's going to need to happen because you need to know which biomarkers you're looking at. But at the end of the day, we all want to live a healthier life. And if I, and I've had my, my father died from complications of sepsis. I've had many people in my life die from Alzheimer's and dementia, my grandparents. I've had so many people in my life that have had cancer. What if there was a way to get ahead of it and know that this is stage zero or stage one where there's, you know, there's medicine, there's surgery, there's what have you, and and being able to get ahead of it and then living a healthy, beautiful life after, right? And and so that's that's what drives me. And that's what I want to impart on the investors because everybody has somebody. Right. Well, as we wrap up in this segment called I'm Deconstructing Deanna Dammers, <laughs> I read that you're an animal lover. Ugh, yes. I think that speaks true to your heart yes. and how you approach life and your relationships. Tell us more. So I started working at uh, with a couple of different animal rescues and rescued a couple of dogs along the way. And um, I'm a dog lover. Any breeds in particular? No. I'm an equal opportunity. (laughs) Equal opportunity dog lover. And um, and they're just, you know, listen, they're innocent. They love you no matter what. And that's come into play in my life on numerous occasions. You know, um, having love from this animal who just, you know, they want to be fed, they want to be treated well, but no matter what, you could be having a bad day and they just come and plop their head on your lap and you're just like... They can sense it, can't they? Yeah, they can. They just know. 100%. 100%. They fill my heart. I love it. Um, yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap the show because you really just showed who you are. It, again, it's less about what you're doing, which is admirable and extraordinary, and your inner yenta will never not show. <laughs> but anyone that looks at animals the way you do and I do, and hopefully many, many people do, it really, it centers you. Yeah. And hopefully it is the therapy you need to manage all the crap we have to deal with in the real world. Yes. That meditation and hikes, I'm in. So I can outro you with many, many different titles. I'm just going to call you uh, the Yenta (laughs) in the good way. Sure. (laughs) The good Yenta. Right. All right. Deanna Dammers, the good Yenta. All right, fine. <laughs> VP of Investor Relations at Kiffick Biomedical, Chief Connection Officer, very appropriate title, at Deep Dive Talent, and Animal Person. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Wait, one more time with the voice. Thank you. Brilliant. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.